This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour, the week in review. Welcome to Trumpet Hour this Friday, October 13th, and a jihadi day of rage. On Friday, at this time, one week ago, in basements and university buildings and workshops and garages, thousands of men were fueling vehicles, strapping on gear, loading Kalashnikovs, and getting ready to commit a massacre. The next day, you know what took place. A murder. They came up to a simple door with a simple lock, and they slammed through it. And the family inside, father, mother, children, baby, looked up to see gun barrels and men shouting in Arabic about Allah and shooting. The father, the mother, the wide-eyed, terrified, screaming children. And for the baby, they used a knife. And the house was silent. You had some murmuring in Arabic, some crunching of glass and toys underfoot. Blood on their bodies, blood on the floors, blood on the walls, and bloody shoes walking out to the next house and the next family. On October 7th, those men committed that murder and that kind of murder hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. They shot to death people in their homes, people on the streets. They killed pregnant mothers and their babies. They beheaded children and babies. They burned people in their homes, in their cars. And they terrorized families, communities, a nation, and many of us throughout the world to advance their religious and political goals. This is the definition of terrorist. And as much as the editors at the BBC and the CBC and other places refuse to use the word terrorist, terrorist doesn't begin to describe the wicked, lying, murderous wretches who committed this act one week ago. We're devoting the first section of today's program to this cataclysmic, wicked massacre. And this is our first Week in Review program since that horrific day. I'm Philip Nice with our Philadelphia Trumpet Writers, and we're going to start with our panel discussion to bring you up to speed to what's happening in Israel right now. So Mihailo Zekic, you watch the Middle East for us, fill in the gaps, and bring us up to speed to today as far as what has happened in the state of Israel. To uh, 
give you the whole rundown. It probably takes several episodes. So much happens on every day. It's almost hard to keep up with uh, what's happening. But in the original volley, you could say on the morning of Saturday, the 7th of October, a bunch of Hamas, as you could say, terrorists. I almost don't even like using that term because when you hear that, you think of one guy with a bomb or that kind of thing. This was this was an invasion, an invasion of Hamas from Gaza. Roughly a thousand fighters breached the border fence through various ways between Gaza and Israel, uh, the border between uh, or the border around Gaza. The wall was electronically monitored and uh, Hamas first took out those uh those monitoring stations, which told the Israelis behind the desks, wherever they were, what was going on. Once that was taken out, the whole sensor apparatus on the on the barrier was useless. And you, it, people could see videos of this all, all over the Internet. You see people, people with bulldozers just bursting through the wall and and terrorists just swarming out of out of those holes like like bees. Uh, the invasion went through on a rampage throughout southern Israel. I think it was it was over. It was over. Uh, 30 different places where the border was breached. Some even flew over with paragliders. Hamas even sent out videos, quite professionally made videos, of these paragliders flying over the fence and landing inside Israeli territory. Um, They didn't make it as far as, say, for obvious reasons, Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. This isn't a complete, you know, coup or takeover. But uh, as far as the communities within the few miles from the Gaza border are concerned, they basically got annexed by Hamas. They basically got taken over by a terrorist state. Uh, the community of Staderot, uh, probably mispronouncing that, my apologies, was especially hard hit. You could see video cell phone footage of people peeking out of their uh, uh, apartment windows and seeing Hamas fighters on the street, either firing bullets at random or even just marching through the streets. If anything, as terrible as the events that you brought up are, and there's many, many worse things that happened there, just even though those videos were, weren't as bloody and in, in one sense, those impacted me even more. That's like waking up and seeing, you know, your law enforcement wearing balaclavas and, and flying black flags with Arabic written on. That's basically your realization that your entire country has been, or, or your country's rule in your particular city or town or community has just been challenged. And at that point in time, successfully, uh, because it was a, a Jewish uh, holiday at the time, what uh, in English we would call the last great day, uh, a lot of the officer corps that were supposed to be uh, monitoring the border, they were out celebrating in one particular lo- location. Uh, Hamas managed to round up most of them and make short work of them, either killing them or capturing them as hostages. There was uh, a pretty infamous um, uh, incident at the Supernova Music Festival, just uh, three miles away from the Gaza border, where thousands of uh, of uh, y- uh, young people—they uh, weren't necessarily going for the right reasons. There, it, it was for all intents and purposes a rave, but you still had these terrorists come in to this music festival, where there are thousands of young people, non-combatants, civilians, and over two hundred of them died just trying, uh, getting shot by Hamas, and everybody fleeing in 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 every which way. Uh, Israel was caught by surprise, uh, which uh, certainly uh, shook the psyche, shall we say, of the nation, of how uh, how the government was unprepared, even though the Israeli intelligence services have a reputation as being among the best in the world. Uh, so it has taken Israel a little bit of uh, time to scramble. Most of uh, Israel's 
counter uh, offensives uh, and involved airstrikes in Gaza and, of course, soldier to soldier fighting. You obviously can't carpet bomb your own cities. So being able to actually uproot these terrorists, while there has been some pushback from their original expansion, has been a bit slow. About the farthest that they uh, that the terrorists reached actually was through rocket attacks at the uh, city of Ashkelon, um, just which is over a hundred thousand people, so a pretty big community. That one sort of struck a little bit of home to me just a few months ago when I was corresponding in Jerusalem. I actually visited Ashkelon, and uh, you look at it feels like Florida. There's palm trees everywhere. These like one story bungalows. Like everybody's on the beach having a good time. It feels like a or at least when I was there, it felt like a normal. A Western city, and to see some of the footage going on there, that obviously hasn't been where the worst of the fighting has been happened, but it's still a war zone. Uh, as of now, um, Israel has been mobilizing its reservists, hundreds of thousands. I think the last statistic I saw was five hundred thousand, but who, I mean, who knows what that it can be by now? They're all amassing by the Gaza border. Israel had just told the uh, the United Nations as well as. Um, I'm not exactly sure how they put a figure on this number, but over 1 million Gazan civilians, I'm guessing that's just of the general area they're targeting who's living there. They've told them to start moving south into Gaza to get up and leave because the invasion is about to start. We've just seen limited airstrikes so far. We're, we could potentially, not potentially, we will see, unless something really dramatic happens, a ground invasion of Israel from Gaza, which hasn't happened since Israel disengaged from Gaza in 2005. Hamas is telling its civilians to stay put as they would, as they always have, using them as uh, 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 video bait to show the world on, on the internet how evil the Israelis are for targeting citizens, I mean civilians. Uh, again, as I'm speaking this right now, uh, so much could be happening going on that we're not even aware of. The, th the situation on the ground is just changing so fast, day by day. Uh, we'll be sure to keep updates on that. But at the moment, this is where we stand with the war in Israel. I'm seeing 1,500 uh, Hamas gunmen killed. Uh, that means there were many, many more uh, on the ground in Israel actually taking over towns, as you said. And uh, I wouldn't call them fighters. They were basically school shooters. In mass, you think about that. Thousands of school shooters. Um, as that's that's the effect of of what they were doing. Uh, you mentioned being over there in in Jerusalem and other cities in Israel. One of our friends, Zeke Malone, was in Jerusalem uh, as all this unfolded, and uh, we talked to him briefly. I woke up and I was getting ready for the day, and I start hearing the missile sirens outside, but I still didn't really get get the gravity of it until as the sirens are going off for the second time at the hotel I'm staying at. The speakers in the hallway started saying, go to floor P, which is the bottom floor of the hotel. They were saying, everyone get downstairs. That kind of alerted me to just how serious of a situation this was. Some who I've talked to who are staying really close to where I am have said they've actually seen the Iron Dome intercept a missile. Someone else said that they were indoors and they were looking outside. And when the missile started going off, they started seeing people scurry to get inside or to get close to a brick wall or to just get away from glass or the middle of the street. One person I was talking to, they, they were in a group of people walking somewhere and this, the missile sirens had already turned off. And so this group, as they were walking, a piece of shrapnel fell down right next to them. They said it sounded like a bullet hitting the ground next to them. And then they heard some other pieces of shrapnel fall around them as well, and they all sounded like bullets, basically. A lot of the day, we'll just hear the roar of fighter jets off in the distance. 
And then even when missiles aren't being fired at Jerusalem specifically, we'll still hear them getting intercepted in the air when they're shot at other cities. Everyone's texting or messaging their loved ones about how they're okay. Everyone's refreshing their news sources as often as they can just to see what's going on, are they in danger. It does make the news a lot more real. It has made the whole situation a lot more sobering. It'll probably change how I look at wars and news events, not just this one, but for everyone I see for the rest of my life. So again, that was Zeke Malone, who was in Jerusalem and right now is on his way back to America. And that point about this being, them not being fighters, and I think you know this point about this, what really happened was worse than terrorism. Some writers, I think, have written very eloquently this week about how this was, this was a pogrom, this was a holocaust. You know, terrorism can't. You know, terrorism is evil, but terrorism is violence for political ends. You know, you're trying to bring about some kind of political change. This was just killing Jews, and right. I'm not even sure whether Hamas had any calculated political aim or anything they were trying to bully Israel into doing. They just wanted to kill Jews, and that, to me, has been the most remarkable part of this is you, know, you, you can you read of the history of Nazi Germany and the rise of Nazism and you think you could think well what would I would have done there what would the people I know have done there how could so many people go along with that and we saw the answer to that this week you know if you if anyone if if somebody supported Hamas they are as bad as a Nazi you know if they're They've got a Palestinian flag. If they're shouting from you know from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. That's calling for genocide of Jews. If they're cheering as people were in large numbers as as the announcements came through that babies had been decapitated, or if they're you know despite the fact Hamas is up there live streaming themselves killing people, and if they're saying, well, Israel is making this up, it didn't happen, it's all a conspiracy. That is every bit as bad as as those type of people would have excused the Nazis or supported the Nazis or would have goose stepped in a Gucci uniform with a red swastika on their arm. There's it's a very literal equivalence. And what we saw was how evil Hamas was. And that's something I think Israel underestimated and how much evil there is in our cities all around the world. I mean, we're. We're about half an hour's drive from Birmingham uh, on our Edstone campus here. And there was videos of quite a large crowd cheering Hamas through the streets of Birmingham. You know, I recognize the streets. I've been in Birmingham recently. And, you know, I was just kind of looking and thinking, well, that could be the person that served me coffee last week. Like, and, and they're supporting this. They agree with this. And then even just the university campuses, the statements coming out of Harvard. You know, I think um, Carolyn Glick called them like a Nazi university. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. That's the kind of people that they're churning out. And so we have had years of Antifa, you know, Antifa, supposedly anti-fascists. And people basically saying, well, we stand up against Nazism and that's what we're doing. That's our whole reason for existence and then this happens, somebody literally does the worst things that the Nazis did, and they're completely silent or they're supportive. And you have Black Lives Matter put out statements and posters saying, well, we support what Hamas is doing. You know, evil is real, and it's there in Israel and Hamas, and it's there in every single major city on this planet. And I think that was just a shocking realization. You know, what, what this reminded me of as soon as I saw those 
images coming out of Israel and what Mr. Palmer was describing, um, it just reminded me of, of the scenes we saw in Rwanda in 1994, or you could say um, Kosovo and Serbia, some of the, the battles going on there. But Genocide. Yeah. But, in, but it's, uh, I just remember from Rwanda, from the first-hand accounts there, you had um, Hutu women would pick up children, throw them 30 feet in the air, so they could wash them splat on the ground and then stomp them to death. They didn't die from the impact. And it, it wasn't, it was well organized. There was, um, there was a definite strategy and, and mobilization behind it, almost like Hamas did. But there's an ideology behind it where it's not, they couldn't care less if they live or die. It's not about even uh, building a, a nation. It's all about is destroying what they hate that that's the ideology and with um it, it that comes in and out of history you always have these these things come up but with hamas is this isn't a surprise they've they published their um charter in 1988 and there's i forget there's 42 articles um but basically it describes uh, how they would commit genocide against the jews that's the whole reason they exist so this hasn't been unknown to the world um and I think we're just getting a little glimpse of, of what they would do unrestrained when they actually have, they've been pretty restrained because of um, Israel's military um, prowess or, or different factors, but when they're not restrained, when they have access to allow that ideology and hatred to go to its maximum extent, there's no limits on what they'll do. And so until, I think this was a good wake-up call or a good reminder of this uh, reality that when you're dealing with these groups, you can call them terrorists or whatever. That's you call you can give them any label you want, but you have to recognize the motivation behind them, that the evil motivation behind them. And until you do that, you're not going to understand how to um, fight back or or uh, fix the problem. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. Uh, go ahead, Mr. Palmer. Oh, I think that's just a really good point about this shouldn't have been a surprise. And I think there's a message there in how easy we get lulled to sleep. Like it's there in the Hamas charter. And Benjamin Netanyahu, he's not a he's not Neville Chamberlain. Yeah, I don't think he's this super naive guy. But Israel, on some level, I think was quite plainly lulled to sleep by Hamas. Uh, Reuters had just a really interesting piece this this uh, on Monday where they just talked about the way that Hamas, for really a number of years, a couple of years, has deliberately tried to lull Israel to sleep. You know, you've had these rocket attacks from the Gaza Strip, but it's not been Hamas that's doing them. It's been Islamic Jihad, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a group that there's there's some overlap there, but they're also kind of political rivals to a certain extent. Um, Hamas was going over to Netanyahu's government and to Israel and saying, hey, can you can you let Gazans across the border crossing? Can you be a bit looser with the border crossing? Because we're focused on making Palestinians' lives better and making people prosperous. And they were very deliberately paying into this common belief in the West that poverty causes violence and that war is a reaction to economic situations. And so they're kind of pleading this case and saying, well, if you make us richer, we will you'll be safer. And Israel went along with that. And it seemed like Israel was un like their fundamental basic assumption was that Hamas, okay, they'll send a few rockets to kind of try and keep the hardliners happy every now and again. But fundamentally, they're kind of focused on Gaza now and on governing Gaza and maintaining political power there. And they're not going to launch this kind of massive attack. 
and they were fundamentally wrong. And you, we, you know, I think we live in the same unreality. Britain and America, we live, we have this same thing. There's a uh, your trumpet editor in chief, Gerald Flurry, talked about in, in America under attack. We've lived in a lot of peace and safety in Britain and America. And he says, because of that, our people have settled into an unreality about what is happening around us. They don't understand how deadly dangerous it is. You know, that was Israel with Hamas. That is just us in general, with human nature, with the world that it lives in. You know, that we've so much of the time, the trumpet print kind of is just a little bit ahead of world events. And we had this article from Mr. Flurry about um, humans with the heart of a beast and going over people like these world leaders and why they become cruel and you know, that article is what you need to explain what Hamas was doing. Uh, and that's what we see on display. You know, world leaders with a beast's heart. We live in this really dangerous world. And it's so easy. Even someone like Netanyahu and a government led by someone like that, who, again, is not Neville Chamberlain, can still fall asleep. And I think every single one of us can kind of become, and we do, we kind of get asleep. We, we, we come into this unreality and we blind ourselves, even if slightly, to the very dangerous reality in the world that we live in. And this is why the Bible has a lot of exhortations to watch world news. You know, this is why we have this program to a certain extent. It says, watch, be sober. You know, we need to understand the reality of the world that we live in. And then that's going to prompt us to take action. And that's going to prompt us to realize how much we need God's protection, how much we need a hope for the future. Uh, it's kind of a core reason even for this, this show, pointing us to the news and helping us wake up from this unreality. Well, that that October trumpet that you're referring to about uh, world leaders with the heart of a beast, I mean, that came um, like, like so many things that came out of nowhere. It wasn't based on a, a specific news event, but it came before the news event. <laughs> Just like you said, it, it's, it's like, oh, OK, we're focusing on this now. OK. And then you read the article and then you see it on the news on October 7th um, and and. Um, Mr. Flurry has also had recent messages talking about watching Israel, watching Jerusalem. The world events are going to start revolving around Jerusalem in, in uh, much more than they are have been. Um, and you talk, you also talk about the unreality. Uh, this is another thing that's in the trumpet print. I read your draft, Mr. Palmer, yesterday about uh, the intelligence failures. And, and I really appreciate how you say there, this is not just, oh, we didn't have enough cameras. We didn't have enough uh, resources or, or, or what have you. It's a way of thinking that infects not just Israelis, but, but Americans, British, just, just like you're saying. And I do want to go back to that point about the support for Hamas. Um, Palestinian flags waving in the streets of, uh, of, of Paris, London, Dearborn, Michigan. They filled an entire theater and they were not supporting Palestinians in general. They were not talking about the suffering of, you know, the most, um, um, uh, vulnerable, you know, children in Gaza, they were celebrating the murder of the Jews on October 7th of Jewish families. That is what they were celebrating. They were celebrating the paragliders who flew in and landed and started shooting people in the back at a music festival. They were celebrating that. So the world that we thought existed, our, how sophisticated we thought we were, does not exist. One thing that definitely does exist is evil. And if evil exists, then there's, there is a spirit world. There's, there's, 
you have to explain that spirit of evil where people would would murder like this, really, like you said, with no immediate clear political goal, except we really hate these people and and Jews especially. So evil exists, and it's not just in Hamas meetings. It's throughout the cities around the world, and it's in all of us. And it's not just those cities. You know, it's at the Washington Post and the New York Times. Right. I mean, I, I appreciated when you called the BBC out at the start. This, this is a tweet from the Washington Post yesterday. The Israel-Gaza war is at its first week, but some people in the United States and around the world have lost their jobs who have faced discipline or backlash for their criticism of Israel. <laughs> if that is your take from what you're sitting, you know, there is pretty, I think, fundamental anti-Semitism. That, you know, that's a newspaper that would have sympathized and supported the Nazis. Like, if you're looking at people losing their job because they're cheering babies getting murdered and you're not concerned that your primary concern isn't babies getting murdered and your primary concern isn't living in a nation where there's a lot of people that cheer babies getting murdered. Your primary concern is those people losing their jobs. There is something very badly wrong with you. And I think that's another component of this unreality is it really does. I think this is waking people up, I think, to the evil on the radical left. In the newspapers, in the government, in these articles. I mean, to me, it's, I think I think it's woken me up to that to a certain extent. I mean, we have our book, America Under Attack, and that talks about just what you were saying, that evil spirit influence that is going on, you know, that is working to bring down the United States. And it talks about the way that Barack Obama and others worked with Iran to enable this attack. And I think this kind of brought home to me you know, how evil that is, that you have politicians at the top of the United States that helped fund this, that helped cause this, that funded Iran and the Palestinian Authority. You know, Donald Trump cut off money to the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. They turned the spigots back on. You know, they have blood on their hands. They knew that, you know, they're, they're very smart, educated people. They have full of foreign policy experts. You know, I think some were deceived. A lot of them knew that this kind of thing would happen. And so I think it brought home the reality to me that you do have this evil spirit world influencing people at the highest levels of the United States. And it is a movement. So much of this movement is evil. And I think to different extents, other people are waking up to this and are realizing, okay, I may have kind of thought I was compassionate by taking a knee or buying a Black Lives Matter movement t-shirt. Now I realize, now I see who I was supporting. It's exposing that. To take it on a bit of a tangent with what you mentioned about Iran, I think it's worth noting before we move on to to uh, some of our other segments, uh, there's been a lot of debate as to how involved Iran was in this. Iran keeps denying it was. America keeps denying it was directly involved. That's all bupkis. The Wall Street Journal had a article citing uh, sources within both Hamas and Hezbollah about a meeting two Mondays ago in Beirut between the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, Hamas, Hezbollah, and some other unnamed groups where Iran gave the green light for this attack. You have Hamas spokesmen in places like the BBC bragging about how Iran helped them out with all the operations. Obviously, the people on the ground doing the shooting, sending the rockets, they're the ones pulling the triggers, but they're not the culprits behind this. Behind them, is the Iranian apparatus, which is why you're getting a lot of people worried about whether Hezbollah in Lebanon is going to get involved, which we'll talk about later, whether this even talks about the Houthis in Yemen or some of the militia groups in Iraq getting involved as well. To tie it in spiritually, we, we look at this and we could see, okay, there's a spirit world, there's big things happening, but when you tie it into specific Bible prophecies, 
it just shows you where exactly we are in the grand scheme of things and in the events. Mr. Plurry in his booklet, The King of the South, writes about a lot of Iran's pushes and the problems with the Palestinians, etc. And he ties in the prophecy in Daniel 11 where it talks about a king of the south pushing at the king of the north leading up into World War III. And he writes in that booklet that this push is going to revolve around Jerusalem. This push is going to revolve around Iran getting control of Jerusalem. Jerusalem at this point is, amazingly enough, probably one of the safest places in Israel to be, which usually is not the case. But at the same time, we're seeing that happen right now. A lot of these prophecies we talk that we talk about on this program all the time, this is not, you know, some politician giving a speech that ties in indirectly with this event we're wa- watching for, but hasn't happened yet. This is what we're talking about right now. I'm not saying that this particular war starts the timer, but when this kind of stuff is happening, when Iran can get away with this kind of stuff, is happening, you know, whichever event it is that starts the timer, it's right around the corner. We can start listing one by one the events leading up to Christ's return, the events leading up to the Great Tribulation. Soon, these are not going to be prophecies. These are going to be history. And the fact that we're seeing this kind of stuff happening in Israel right now, if anything, should sober us, not just on how much evil there is in society right now or what's going on, but what's going to be around the corner. I was mentioning the situation on the ground changes every day. What's going to be tomorrow? What's Are we going to start seeing... Europe getting more and more involved? Are we going to start seeing some of these other really big prophecies of other countries getting invaded? In Matthew 24, he talked about wars and rumors of wars, scaring people to think it's the end time, even when the Great Tribulation hasn't even started. What's next? That's what I thought when I first, uh, back when uh, the Afghanistan fiasco happened, it was big a shocker. And I was thinking, what's next? You wait a year later, Ukraine happened. You wait a year later, this happened. What's going to be in 2024? If anything, this will show, sober us up to just, like Mr. Palmer was saying, this general peace that we've been having in Israel and nations and in many other parts of the world, that peace worldwide is about up. And not only is it just about up, everything is going to fall apart. We're going to see people like those people in, in Sterot and in Ashkelon looking out of their window and seeing that they're civilization, their whole conception on where they lived and what was normal is going to be completely altered. And it's going to be a lot more dramatic than even than just a bunch of terrorists marching down the street. Well, it's well, uh, go ahead, Mr. Blondo. Oh, uh, just to just kind of tie a couple of these things together. Just it's reminded me when I visited Yad Vashem and you, you go through that museum and you kind of wonder, you think about the phrase never again. Like you see the scale of the Holocaust and the terrible things that happened. And you're like, well, wow, like how can we ever let this happen again? And then on October 7th, it did happen again. Smaller scale, but it happened again. And it will keep happening until human nature has changed. But I think what really emphasizes that point is this day of rage that you mentioned at the top of the show, which is today while we're recording. And that's um, around the, you have this, uh, uh, he was one of the founders of Hamas call for a, a global day of rage and, and demonstrations and, and violence um, around the world. And so you had uh, a French teacher was stabbed to death. A couple of students were injured. And then in um, China, you had a diplomat, Israeli diplomat stabbed. Um, and I'm sure more things will happen. But what this shows is that um, it's not limited just to Gaza. 
like Mr. Palmer was saying. It's not just limited to the newsrooms of these radical left uh, regime media. It's it's everywhere. I mean, in Canada, we had these these protests for pro-Palestinian. Those are some of the biggest protests I've seen all year. They are bigger than protesting Justin Trudeau or uh, parents' rights uh, in schools. These there was more support for Palestine or Hamas in Canada than these other issues. That shows that uh, just all these things like uh, the immigration and just all these different issues facing our nations, it's all kind of coming to a, a head. Um, and that we're seeing that this human nature, this evil that is within each human, the different degrees, um, I mean, it's getting ready to explode in different ways. And we just can't, the, the phrase never again will, will never happen until that human nature is changed. Wow, that is such a good point that I hadn't thought of the strength and the size of the support for Hamas as compared to the strength and the size of the support for parents, <laughs> the strength and the size of the support for people who want to have constitutional f free government. Uh, the, the, the world is, is showing its true colors at this point. People are supporting and celebrating and mimicking Hamas not just in general, but at the very time that Hamas has done the most despicable and wretched and hateful and murderous thing that it has ever done. And it has done a lot of despicable and wretched and hateful things. And people need to understand, you, dear listener, need to understand, and you need to understand it right now, that evil exists. Mr. Palmer talked about how we have people who are smart, and they are smart. We're not saying that as a pejorative. They are smart. They are experts in foreign policy or in editorial, you know, or in, in producing newspapers and, and journalism. But intelligence does not negate evil. There are very intelligent, evil people. Evil definitely exists. If you can't look at these pictures and see these actual videos of terrorists sitting on the dead body of a woman they have raped on the back of a pickup truck, riding through uh, Gaza or on their way back to Gaza. And you cannot say that evil, a spirit of evil exists, then you are not looking at reality. And the evil exists, as we've been saying, not just in Hamas meetings and not just at the end of a Hamas knife. Um, it exists and it is swelling and it is churning in this world and and as, as calm and peaceful as, as we have uh, been and, and the lives that we have enjoyed, um, that's not the real thing. That's, it's, it's like the moth-eaten garment that uh, Mr. Fleury has talked about. It looks fine. There's a veneer that looks good. But now we are seeing the evil underneath. And that bloodshed is going to spread. There's a motivation. There's a spirit. There's an evil that wants to spread what happens in those kibbutzim and in, in the streets of these Israeli cities wants that to spread and spread and spread. So you have to ask yourself, is there or is there not evil? And there is evil and there is hatred. And you've got to understand and explain that. And the trumpet is a fantastic place to look at real world events like this massacre and to understand the spirit behind it. 
the evil behind it. And there are reasons why it's especially against the modern nations of Israel, why it's especially against the Jews. And you will find Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry talking about that months ago, years ago, and, t- and telling you about the spirit behind it before you see it in raw living color on your daily news. So obviously subscribe to the trumpet if you haven't already subscribe to the trumpet brief because it's getting very serious very fast you're listening to trumpet hour the week in review So we started with our trumpet roundtable, and now we'll hit the four major regions of the world as divided by Bible prophecy. Mihailo Zekic, let's get your thoughts on the Middle East. The main story I want to talk about ties into uh, the war, and that revolves around Hezbollah. Now, uh, for past few days, there's been quite a bit of tit-for-tat exchanges between the Israeli Defense Forces and Hezbollah along the Israeli-Lebanese border. It started Sunday, the day after uh, Hamas launched his attack. The big question is, is Hezbollah going to intervene on the side of Hamas? Hezbollah is not Hamas. I heard one analyst call it the world's largest private army, and a private army with, for all intents and purposes, the resources of a state. They have, uh, some analysts estimated, up like 20,000 more soldiers than Hamas does. They have 200,000 rockets, many of them precision-guided missiles. They get way more funding from Iran than than uh, Hamas does. And as I mentioned in the first program, they were a part of that Beirut meeting, Beirut in Lebanon, about what to happen. So a lot of people are wondering, are there next Egypt uh, released uh, or told Israeli intelligence, apparently, that uh, Hezbollah will invade if Israel invades Gaza, which, as the time of speaking, as far as I know, they haven't done, but they're most likely will any any moment now. So we'll keep tabs on that. But if Hezbollah intervenes, that would be a huge shift, not just for the war. It would certainly terrorize Israel a lot more than they've ever been terrorized in a while. But it would also shift Lebanon quite a bit. Lebanon, as we've talked about in this program before, is in a mess. Since this time last year, they haven't been able to elect a president. The uh, parliament elects a president. So for over a year now, or roughly a year, I should say, They've been without a head of state because parliament couldn't come together and who to vote in. The economy is in meltdown. Nobody's been put to justice for the 2020 Beirut blast. And everybody knows that it's because Hezbollah is stonewalling the proceedings because they don't want to get implicated. And the central bank governor who's been governing uh, Lebanon's bank for decades recently resigned amid accusations. He's turned Lebanon into the world's largest Ponzi scheme uh, at the... uh, expense of the Lebanese people. Lebanon's fed up with what's happening right now. And the group they blame most of all for what's happening is Hezbollah. And if Hezbollah drags Lebanon into an unnecessary major war with Israel, that would be just about as much as they could take. And we talk about Hezbollah controlling Lebanon. There's plenty of other militia groups there too, some that are Catholic-oriented, some that are Sunni-oriented, and they'd love for an opportunity to get Hezbollah bogged down somewhere and stage a revolution. We're watching for civil war to happen in Lebanon. The reason for that is a prophecy in Psalm 83, which talks about Lebanon being allied with Asher or the king of the north. In other words, allied with Europe 
against Iran, which means they have to leave Iran's orbit, and that means kicking Hezbollah out. However, this war in Israel takes place. This could be a way that it happens. So we'll be watching on that. If our listeners would like to learn more, there's an article on the website right now called Will Hezbollah Join the War Against Israel? That's Will Hezbollah Join the War Against Israel? So watch Hamas and Gaza. Watch Hezbollah, far more powerful, as you, as you say there. And watch Iran, immensely more powerful, pursuing nuclear power. And watch their target, Israel, Jerusalem, the Jewish people. There is a reason why radical, murderous Islam is asserting its power again, why it hasn't gone away. And there is a reason why the target is especially Israel, Jerusalem, and the Jewish people. We'll go over to the Anglo-America region now. Andrew Miller, uh, give us your update on Anglo-America. Yeah, in Anglo-America this week, Kevin McCarthy was ousted as Speaker of the House. The Customs and Border Protection Agency released data revealing that more than 73,000 potential terrorists have been apprehended at the U.S. southern border over the past two years. How many was that? 73,000. Okay. Uh, yeah, those are those are basically um, people apprehended at the southern border who are not from Mexico, they're not from Guatemala, they're not from Honduras, they're from Afghanistan, they're from Iraq, they're from Mauritania, uh, and other Islamic-majority nations. Well, what's the main thing you want us to focus on from Anglo? Well, the main thing this week is going to be related to the war in the Middle East, particularly the Biden administration's reluctance to refreeze $6 billion in Iranian assets after the Tehran-backed group Hamas launched its deadliest attack against Israel in decades. Now, I think, uh, from what I've seen this morning, it looks like Republicans in the in Congress have actually refreezed the $6 billion in Iranian assets in order to punish Iran for its role in supporting the Hamas attack against Israel. But the Biden presidential administration went kicking and screaming with this one. This was part of their Iran nuclear deal uh, where they unfroze $6 billion in Iranian assets then it came to light from both senior Hezbollah and senior Hamas officials that the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps has pretty much been planning this assault on Israel for two years. Uh, interestingly, if you look at the timeline, it looks like as soon as the Biden administration did its disastrous evacuation from Afghanistan, uh, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps calculated correctly that the Biden administration did not have much wherewithal to defend America's Middle Eastern interest and start helping Hezbollah and Hamas plan this attack on Israel. So they've been doing this pretty much since the Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, as part of Biden's Iran nuclear deal 2.0, he unfroze $6 billion in Iranian assets, which was a huge boon to Iran, giving them quite a bit of financial um, leeway to support these groups. The Biden administration has definitely made it known that they are, uh, they prioritize their relationship with Iran over their relationship with Israel and wanted to let Iran keep the money despite the fact that Hezbollah and Hamas are very open, that the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps are the ones that helped them plan this assault. 
So again, this is at the time, while it's all fresh on everyone's memory, of the blood-stained houses of families killed by Hamas. It's at this very time that Joe Biden and the man controlling him, which is Barack Obama, uh, are trying their best to push through $6 billion, $6 billion to Iran. And ultimately, you have American taxpayer dollars shooting rockets at Israeli families and American taxpayer dollars shooting Iron Dome interceptor missiles against those rockets. It's insane, the the world that we are living in. You've got uh, something there, I think, to give us a little bit of the larger context of, of uh, how to view all of this and, and some literature. Yeah, the article we'll put in the show notes today is from our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flory, titled The Barack Obama Mystery. An edited version of it is actually a chapter in his booklet, America Under Attack, called Silencing a Critic. But the Barack Obama mystery, the article basically goes back to an article by the investigative journalist Lee Smith about how the Obama administration targeted General Michael Flynn because of his opposition to Iran. Right. Uh, particularly his opposition to Iran's terrorist funding. Uh, and making the case that, like, Obama, for some reason, his number one foreign policy priority, it seems to be like, was the Iran nuclear deal and making sure that Iran maintains funding. Right. And that made no sense, and it still makes no sense. <laughs> Yeah, it makes no sense at all because uh, Lee Smith has done uh, other articles like America's China Class that talks about the Obama administration, the Biden administration supporting China for selfish reasons because it's basically a giant slave labor camp that they can use to bring cheap goods into America and rich themselves. But there's really no reason why Obama would support Iran except if he like hated the Jews and wanted to destroy the nation of Israel and push all the Jews into the sea, the same as Hamas does. Right, because this is support not just for the Iranian people. It is re- support for the Iranian regime, the current Iranian terrorist-sponsoring regime. Right. You're giving billions of dollars to Iran, which in turn gives millions of dollars of Hezbollah to rain down rockets to destroy Israel. The Obama administration also, like Hezbollah and like Iran, wants to destroy the nation of Israel and destroy the Judeo-Christian values that underpin uh, the lost tribes of Israel, like the United States and Britain. That's the Barack Obama mystery. That's the reason that they're going kicking and screaming about refreezing the $6 billion is because they want that American taxpayer dollars to go to Iran so they can give millions to Hezbollah so they can destroy Israel, which will go a long way in helping them uh, undermine the Judeo-Christian values that underpin America and Britain as well. Right. That's the target. That is the target. Jerusalem, Israel, the faith that came from Jerusalem— what are often called Judeo-Christian values. Uh, that's the Barack Obama mystery. Let's go now from Anglo-America over to the region of Asia. Mr. Blondo, can you give us an update on Asia, sir? So just a couple of small stories before we get to the, the major one I want to cover. And that's first one is that China and Sri Lanka, they've made a new debt deal that will give Sri Lanka further lines of credit. Uh, the whole world was shocked at the violence and the terrible things that happened in Sri Lanka only a few months ago. But now China, they, they got ahead of the IMF and other Western banks. And so they're going to give Sri Lanka more lines of credit. So that puts Sri Lanka in their pocket even more than before. The other story was that the IDF found that Hamas was using weapons from North Korea. 
North Korea, they give weapons to Iran, Egypt, Syria. So they probably didn't sell them directly to Hamas. But I think it's still interesting that North Korea, they're becoming more of a major player in this anti-American framework in the world with helping out in the Russia's war in Ukraine. And now some of their fingerprints are all the way with Hamas. But the main story I want to focus on is that Russia and China's support for Iran with the shocking attack that happened. More is coming out just about, obviously, Iran is behind Hamas and Hezbollah, but who's backing Iran? So Andrew talked about all the money that the United States is giving to Iran, but that's still a small pittance compared to what mainly China has been supplying Iran. So China, they've uh, agreed to give Iran $400 billion over 25 years in loans, and that's in addition to the trade and, and other deals along the way. Russia is also does a lot of trade with Iran. Russia also supplies Iran with a lot of military technology. So I think it's interesting that Iran's been more involved in the war in Ukraine. They've been honing their battlefield technology, I think really upgrading and testing their capabilities. And I think some of that training has flowed into Hamas, where you have this more sophisticated, well-coordinated attack. I think even using drones and that sort of thing in the attack, I think some of that's from Iran learning from these larger military powers. And in both Russia and China, they gave a pretty muted response to the attack. They didn't really... They didn't mention Hamas or terrorism in their statements because they're supporting the Palestinians because it helps them in their, their worldview. If we step back and look at the big picture of Asia's involvement with the war in Israel, is that China, especially, they want to be seen as a viable alternative to America as a, as a broker, as a diplomatic uh, third party. So China just made that deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia, a kind of reapproachment. So China really wants to be involved with a peace process in Palestine. So China, they want to be in the good graces of Hamas so they can try to push the United States out as kind of the power broker in the region. But I think what in Bible prophecy, this is interesting because we know there will be a, a peace broker in the Middle East, but it won't be China. These trends of Russia and China building up Iran, it's actually pushing towards the rise of a European superpower. And that in turn leads to a war started by Iran. And that's, you can see that in Daniel 11, verses 40 through 41. But these attacks in Israel, I think it's really interesting because in that prophecy in Daniel 11, it talks about the king of the south, which is Iran, pushing against the king of the north, which is Europe. And they push so hard that Europe responds with a whirlwind which Trumpet editor-in-chief believes is a nuclear attack. So what would Iran do to incite such a, a major retaliation? Well, I think the attacks by Hamas show what this ideology is capable of and why part of the reason why Europe pushes back so hard. This is just a little snippet, I think, into what that word push might mean there. And Mr. Fleury in, that, in the King of the South book, he says that this will revolve around Jerusalem. So all these trends of Russia and China supporting Iran is going to lead to this push, and it's all going to revolve around Jerusalem. And that's the main thing we need to keep our eyes on. And that's where this trend is he currently heading. So watch the King of the South. Know who the King of the South is and watch Jerusalem. Absolutely. So 
whether we're talking about Chinese debt traps in Sri Lanka or funding for Iran or people waving flags in Dearborn, Michigan, these are warnings for you, the listener, to realize that the hundreds and hundreds of murders that are fresh on all of our minds from Israeli homes and the thousands and millions from the Holocaust that they remind us of, we are seeing the pieces fall into place where leaders with the heart of a beast will spread that same evil and spread that bloodshed around the world. So that is why we have to watch uh, these things so, so closely. Uh, Richard Palmer, you spoke so well on that in the roundtable. Could you give us your update on Europe? We've had a couple of elections in Europe that show once again the far right rising in power. Um, And I think that's something we've talked about a fair bit on this show, but definitely something that's worth watching. I think the main story I just wanted to to blitz through quickly here is the way that Europe is responding to this attack in Israel. I think in a lot of ways, because of everything Andrew talked about in America, Europe is looking like a very potent friend to Israel, that you look at the, you know, This attack happens. The State Department puts out a tweet saying we urge all sides to refrain from violence as though this is kind of an all sides thing where everyone is guilty. And you compare that to what you've got from Germany, where Germany lights up the Brandenburg Gate with the Israeli flag. They fly the Israeli flag outside the president's office, the Reichstag building and the chancellery. They immediately suspend all aid to Palestinian territories. Uh, And the Chancellor Olaf Schultz says at the moment, there is only one place for Germany, and that place is side by side with Israel. And that's that's even stronger rhetoric than you're getting out of the United States. We attacked American media during the first half. German media has been better even than American media. And I think if you're Israel watching this and seeing, okay, yeah, things might get better in America if you have a right-wing administration, but both of these countries have left-wing administrations. When you get the left in power, I could see people in Israel easily thinking, well, Germany's the the better option. And there are a lot of very specific Bible prophecies, just like uh, Mr. Blondeau talked about, about Germany playing this role and Europe playing this role as a peacemaker. And I think this could be one of the big long-term changes that we see after this attack, you know, where we see how damaging the radical left has been to Israel. And that one result from Israel could well be that they seek a new patron and they look to Germany. And the big danger in this is ultimately they're looking in the wrong place. You know, when you there, there's a real hunger for peace in Israel and you know, especially when you see the events of this week. But unfortunately, that's not the place to look for it. But the Bible shows us where that is coming. I just wanted to conclude my segment doing something we don't normally do and just read a few verses from the Bible because I think that, that contains the comfort that we need after the events of this week and, and the hope that we need. This is just from, from Zechariah 8. And it says there, thus says the eternal of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus says the eternal, I'm returned unto Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, the mountain of the eternal of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the eternal of hosts, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem every man with his staff in his hand for his very age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. And thus says the eternal of hosts, if it be marvelous in the eyes of of the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes from the eternal of hosts? That I think is the the passage that, that I need at least after this week. 
that we're going to see boys and girls playing in peace and harmony in Jerusalem. And ultimately, God says he is going to bring it about. He is still very concerned about what is happening there. You know, the images that we have been horrified at are not there because God has abandoned Jerusalem and Israel. They're there for the exact opposite reason. You know, they're there to expose the evil in human nature. They're there to expose how much this world needs God. And once mankind has learned that lesson, God is very excited about stepping in and about bringing peace to Jerusalem and using that as a model and a headquarters to bring and show an example of peace to the entire world. So there is incredible hope here. And even for those that have died, God then has a vision that stretches out to a time when they'll be resurrected and they'll have an opportunity to learn God's truth. And when they will live in peace and safety, he is longing for the day you know, it's marvelous in his eyes that when he'll be able to bring this this peace and security to Israel and to Jerusalem. So there is there is hope here, and you know, we've mentioned a few pieces of literature here. If I could maybe push one above all others, I would recommend our, our book, The Eternal Has Chosen Jerusalem. I think that's that's material. I think I'll be reviewing after this week that puts everything that is happening here in context with God's plan for that city and just the wonderful vision that is there and the incredible hope for the world. It's, it's a pretty beefy book, but it's, it's, I think it's one of the most inspiring, positive, hope-filled books that we have. And I think that's what we need after, after weeks like this. The Eternal Has Chosen Jerusalem, a book that will be more and more relevant as each week passes. And, and just as the spirit and the faith of the murderers is what shamed and dishonored and bloodied humanity this week there's a spirit and there's a faith that the Jews have had some inkling of uh, that does lead to hope. So that book was The Eternal Has Chosen Jerusalem. We appreciate you being with us on, the, on this momentous week, this important program. Uh, thank you, Mr. Palmer, as well as Mr. Blondeau, Andrew Miller, and Mihailo Zekic. Thanks to Parker Campbell and Isaac Lorenz for all of their engineering and production more than usual this week. And thank you, listener, for participating with us in the Week in Review. We look forward to being back with you next week on Trumpet Hour. Trumpet Hour.